Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. And a special welcome and thanks to those who've joined us live here at the Mount Aloysius College uh, Charity Con, our annual event that I think um, I one of my favorite things about working here, actually. Um, I always get really excited about this event. And this year, I even broke a personal rule and ordered uh, or offered extra credit uh, for coming and writing something about it, although I haven't seen anybody show up for any of those yet. <laughs> um, so uh, this conversation is going to be about multiverses, which makes me, I, once again, I'm, it's, it's uh, appropriate for me to wear my Superman with a hammer and sickle uh, shirt because that's Earth 30. Am I right about this? Uh, one of the Earth, one of the alternate Earths, and, it, and it's appropriate to their topic today. Um, remember back to that time heist part of the Avengers Endgame movie. When our heroes go back to previous moments from the MCU movies to retrieve their magic rocks, they screw a few things up. Uh, and one of these is the mix-up that allows Loki to escape with, I believe, the Tesseract um, at the end of the Avengers movie. Uh, this does two things. First, it allows us to continue to enjoy Tom Hiddleston's really fun performance as Loki in his own Disney Plus series, launching in four days. Um, and second, and more importantly, it is essentially opens up a new reality in which Loki is both dead and alive. He is Schrodinger's Loki in that way. Uh, and, and one can imagine that the math doesn't really stop there. There are universes full of Lokis, and they all have their own realities and natures. And all of this has really massive implications if you stop and think about it. Imagine being able to see other versions of yourself doing things that you don't do, living places you don't live, and loving people you don't love. Sometimes uh, what you'll see will depress you, as some of these alternative views will be undoubtedly just as boring as you are. Um, and sometimes you'll be appalled at the vile actions a potential version of yourself is capable of. And sometimes you'll be envious of the charmed life the, of the you on Earth 30. Uh, what we've seen, uh, we've seen more and more of these stories, and I argue this is one of the charms of the excellent Into the Spider-Verse animated film. Spider-Man is any number of people all at once, and the one we follow, Miles Morales, gets inspired, and he inspires other versions of himself. All the Spider-People become better when the multiverses commune together. And it seems to me this kind of perspective is necessary to live a good life. Our world is constructed in such a way that it's hard to get out of one's own skin long enough to look at ourselves. If know thyself is the highest goal of philosophy, we are all failing pretty miserably. There is an ethical test that we are constantly failing, and I wonder if being forced to see other versions of ourselves might be the remediation that we need. This is where my thoughts on this matter begin, but there are, fittingly enough, endless dimensions to this subject. Uh, there are theological questions. For example, can one God oversee multiple universes? There are moral questions. Is one version of yourself more important than another? Going back to Endgame, when Thor removes his hammer from Asgard in Endgame, isn't he messing in the life up for the other Thor from that uh, that universe? Um, I may or may not uh, contain multitudes, but this topic sure does. So let me bring the smart people in here and let them tell me what to think about this. So um, joining me live uh, in, on stage here is uh, Wayne Wise and Mav, Chris Maverick of the Vox Popcast. How are you guys doing? Good. There. Thanks, going. Uh, thanks for joining me. Yeah, um, and they'll be recording a podcast here, too. And so um, I, that's around 2 o'clock, though. We're running a little behind. Uh, two, 2 to 3 to 4 o'clock 
area. Uh, and, Sometimes. Uh, and, later. <laughs> and I'll be sitting in on that one. And many of my listeners already listen to Vox Popcast already. And so um, you, you know these guys really well. Um, and joining us uh, also from Skype, and this has been a major technical achievement for me. I feel like this whole thing is held together by a stolen Ethernet cable at this point. And so, but, um, <laughs> but we've got uh, Chris Buckley, uh, who's been on the show before. He's a, is a wonderful poet. And how did you want me to introduce yourself, uh, introduce you, Chris? <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV. Maybe you just say I'm a Seattle poet and all-purpose uber geek. He is a all-purpose uber geek. This guy knows so many things, and, and I say that in, with all the love in the world. Uh, he knows so much about so many things, including uh, the Universal Monsters. He has a really interesting blog post about that kind of shared universe. And uh, uh, yeah, Chris Buckley and I, actually this whole thing is just a ruse. I just got him on here so I could argue with him about the Joker movie, which, which we do constantly. <laughs> on Twitter for some reason um, um, and uh, and uh, joining Chris and uh, the rest of us up here is uh, Andy Walsh Andy I met recently at Theocon and uh, he's got a really wonderful book on this uh, subject which I've gone out and got it's called Faith Across the Multiverse Parables from Modern Science um, I included Andy on the call for you know people who are interested in this and he very graciously um, decided to join us Andy how are you I'm doing fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. Although you're only in Pittsburgh, right? You should have just driven over with Wayne and uh, Mav. So um. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so we wouldn't have had those Skype connection issues. So um, anyway, I just. I, I suspect that um, we're going to be talking about the nitty gritty of a lot of like comics universes in which this is a, a major plot line. Uh, I know the CW has a major uh, version of this coming out on their uh, their network shows and uh and there have been many many other things that you guys know much more about than i do and so um what i guess where i want to begin chris if i could begin with you you kind of gave us a little interesting definitional work about the what the definition of a universe from a kind of catholic perspective do you want to talk a little bit about that well sure yeah um i i should start out by saying i am not a theoretical but I grew up around them. I grew up Methodist, <laughs> and my church was directly across the street from the Lawrence Livermore National Labs, where all of our most destructive weapons were being designed. So I quickly had to hold my own amongst the congregation, who were, you know, very, very well uh, versed in nuclear physics. Physics, and so I, uh, I really dug into a lot of the kind of popular reading that's out there around quantum theory. You know, as that was coming available, some of Hawking's work and Brian Green and folks like that. So I, I kind of have a, a, an advanced layman's you know, understanding of where that goes. But there's an interesting disagreement, I think, in, in Christian circles, especially around the whole idea of the multiverse. You know, is there one? And if there is, does that completely destroy the possibility for faith? And, and I think it comes down to uh, a, a definitional problem, one that uh, a certain Catholic apologist named... Uh, uh, Jimmy Akins pointed out, and I really liked his way of summing it up. The idea is that classically we use the concept of a universe. The phrase "universe" comes from a, um, you know, a, a phrase meaning "all that is." Um, you know, it's the idea of the the kind of the Greek cosmos, the entire created realm, all as one big donut. Whereas currently, that's not the way we use the word. We talk about universe meaning the physical space and temporal space-time, the four dimensions of perceived reality, and that there could be any number of other aspects of reality almost under the hood 
that don't fit into our, quote, universe, but they also exist out there. And so there's this little name game going on where, you know, theoretical physicists and some postmodern atheism, they like to mix those terms as if the possible existence of the one must disprove the maker of the other. And, um, and you know, it, as a Christian, I, you know, I, I pray to the, quote, maker of all things, visible and the invisible. So, you know, I'm not disputing the mathematical likelihood of realms of existence that we can't physically perceive, you know, by, by any means, my faith would be predicated on it. Yeah, and that actually um, uh, kind of brings to mind something that A. David Lewis, um, he was going to try and call into this. Uh, I'm going to have him on the show eventually. Uh, he's the author of this really wonderful um, comic book called Kismet. It's a, about a Muslim superhero. And, uh, and he actually... Um, is a convert to Islam and he actually wanted to talk about this and he says I really wanted to riff on Allah as the creator of all worlds plural in the Quran suggesting the scriptural possibility of a multiverse for Islam as well right and so I think that there's a way in which many um, religious faiths accommodate the possibility right um, this is sort of a geek show though and so I, I want to kind of use that to kind of spin into the way in which comics have uh, have dealt with this uh, and it kind of goes back pretty far right um, uh, do you guys you guys want to talk a little bit about that <laughs> since you know Wayne like basically lives in a comic shop and stuff so, um. Um, I what crisis on infinite earth is a big one in the the 1980s prior to that, yeah. yeah prior to that i mean there was dc had heroes in the 1940s and they kept publishing them for for 20 years 25 years and somewhere in the 60s they realized that this batman and superman who are 25 years old can't really possibly be the same batman and superman who appeared 25 years ago <laughs> um so they well, they also had the Flash problem, too. And the Flash problem. There, yeah. there, there, was, there was the original Flash, Jay Garrick. They introduced Barry Allen in the 1950s. And, yeah, that was actually the first crossover is Barry Allen met, met yeah. Jay Garrick, the Flash of Two Worlds, uh, introducing that, oh, all those 1940s superheroes, they're on Earth 2. Uh, the main DC universe is Earth 1. And after that, they started doing crossovers. They're, they did an annual Justice Don't League try to figure out the counting because yeah, it doesn't. Yes, yeah, yes. Uh, but yeah, there was Earth 1, which at, at that time was the main Earth, and right. then Earth 2 was the 1940s character. Earth 2 predates Earth 1. Don't yeah, think too hard. Right. <laughs> uh, alternate math. Um, and they, they did an annual crossover for a long time between the Justice League of Earth 1 and the Justice Society of Earth 2. Crisis on Two Worlds, Crisis on the... They, they, they often had the title Crisis on... Multiple Earths. Oh, multiple Earths. Crisis on. So the Infinite Earths thing that happens in 85, which is the most famous one, when people refer to crisis, that's what they usually mean. But it was a tradition a tradition that had been going on for about 30 years. Yeah, they introduced Earth 3, which had villainous versions of all the characters. And when they bought all the Fawcett characters, they introduced Earth, Earth S, S no, to bring in S the Shazam, Shazam characters. Shazam characters. Um, C is Charlton? Yeah, C is Charlton when he brought the, the Charlton characters. And eventually they had an infinite number of universes, which confused everybody. So they had to destroy them all and make it into one, which was even more confusing. So thank you. <laughs> and I think, that's what was, I think that's what was interesting about it, too, is it's, you know... Don't don't overlook the the fact that, like physicists, this is a practical solution yeah. to an intellectual problem. They had an intellectual property problem. They had yeah. old versions of the characters that were being published alongside new characters, you know, versions of the same characters, and they needed to explain it all. And to make matters worse, as they kept acquiring other companies, right. they mm -hmm. needed some place to put those stables of characters until 
as you said, in 1985, it just became more convenient to destroy the barriers between all worlds, <laughs> merge them into one, and pretend they'd always been that way in the first place. Yeah, so so there was infinite universes, and then there was one universe, and then starting in 2011, there were 52, 52. universes, and now they've introduced a dark multiverse. So I, I've lost track. Again. And there might be... It's, <laughs> and... And even and that and even that's a simplification. Yeah. Like during, yes. Yeah. So when when the crisis happens in 1985 to 1986 and simplifies the universe down to just one universe, um, this lasted <laughs> officially. It lasts until 2001 with zero hour. 2001. Yeah. Um, unofficially or in context, it lasts about six months before they realized they'd screwed up and they had to. <laughs> and, and, and without joking. They, there's no multiverse, there's no multiverse, there's no multiverse, except for the pocket universe where Superboy existed briefly. Right. <laughs> like, right. it's six months later. They, they, and they realize, and, and then, and then a few years, like five or six years go by, exactly. and they realize, oh, wait a minute, we've reintroduced Hawkman three different times now. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they and started Grant doing Morrison introducing you know, Psycho Pirate in yeah. 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 Right. and the Animal Man, and animal man yeah. run. So it falls apart you know, very quickly. Right, realizing that there are people who remember the original reality. Yeah, and, and, and the they started they, they started publishing the Elseworlds, you know, things that were credited as Elseworlds. Which here's a here's a one shot of an alternate universe Batman, even though there's no multiverse. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and that I mean, Marvel's done that. When I was a kid, I used to buy those What If, yeah, right. And, and I think that's going to be a Disney series, isn't yeah. it? Yes, um, it is. And so, yeah, and that's a uh, uh, that's a thing in which I'm kind of familiar with these sort of imaginative kind of playgrounds almost, right? Yeah. Uh, in which you can sort of imagine another universe that's not really official. And the difference between that and this is these are really kind of official, right? Um, all these things officially exist uh, at the same time simultaneously. And my, my T-shirt, this is one of these Elseworlds. Is yeah. Red, Red Sun is, uh, is an Elseworld. Um, and if you listen to the show, you know that you know this because we did a show on it last year. Uh, but the, uh, the idea is that Superman's craft, you know, lands about... 12 hours later, and so he lands in the Soviet Union instead of Kansas, right? And he grows up as a, a Soviet hero. But even outside of comics, as a multimedia thing, there's the Adam West Batman, there was the Batman animated series, there yeah. was the movie version of Batman, Super all of this Friends. Time, Super Friends. Yes. Video so, games, <laughs> toy lines. Yes. Gooby-Doo's in here somewhere, right? right? And, so, yeah. <laughs> and this is what I think is making the, the CW's crossover, now that they are, in fact, visiting the Crisis on Infinite Earth storyline. So, so fascinating is, is they are treating all of the filmed DC properties as real parts of this on-screen mm-hmm. multiverse that they're creating. I mean, we, we're, we're getting advance notice that they're going to be, you know, we're, we're having guest stars from practically everything that has ever been filmed about DC. We've got guest stars from the 1989 Tim Burton Batman, Kevin Conroy from the animated Batman, and Burt Ward, yeah. you know, from 1966 Robin. Let's hold off on that because our, actually the next presentation here is going to be about that. So that'll be a nice way to spin into the next presentation um, from uh, one of our students here is going to be presenting on that very topic. So let's hold off that to the end um, that the, the DC in the the uh, whatever I'm the talking Arrowverse. about Arrowverse the Arrowverse thing right and so um, I actually want to say one more thing so there I think there are really interesting theological dimensions 
to that mixture of worlds, okay? And so um, going back to David Lewis, he had um, also asked us uh, while we're carrying his water, so to speak, um, I've given a lot of thought to Grant Morrison's 52 multiverse and the inclusion of heaven, hell, limbo, and the silver city as distinct realms. Are they, for instance, on par with Earth 2, with Bizarro World, right? And so he's opening up a conversation in which multiple kind of theological, like metaphysics, can exist simultaneously. And Sandman, I think, does this, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, in which all of those, the Norse gods work with the Christian god, sort of, and it's all contained in one weirdly cohesive universe. I recently did a show on Pet Cemetery, and I kind of think that Stephen King is doing something like that with the, the metaphysic of that of that book. And, and so I think that this is something that we've seen. Andy, I want to bring him into this conversation. Um, your book is kind of about uh, using this concept to reach out to science in a lot of ways, right? So there's a real interesting intersection between religion and science that's kind of made possible by this uh, by this concept of multiverses. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so, you know, one of the questions, uh, or one of the topics we have in Christian discussions, Christian theology is the idea of being lost and being found and being saved. And you know, we've talked to a lot of people, they don't have a sense of being lost, right? We know where we are, we know where we're going, we have some sense of what our... Uh, place in the universe is. And so what does it really mean to be lost? And so one of the things that I uh, explore in the book is the possibility that we are sort of lost in the, the multiverse of possible versions of ourselves. Whether or not there's any actual physical reality through a, through a multiverse, um, there's certainly a conceptual reality of I can imagine different ways in which my life could be lived. Um, and that I'm, you know, maybe uh, sort of adrift or, or lost in that space of all possible versions of myself. And that, uh, you know, God and, and Jesus are calling us towards, have, have sought out sort of that best version of ourselves and are calling us towards uh, living a life that, that brings that version of ourselves into uh, into some kind of physical reality. Yeah. Like we're actually living out that one in, in the one physical reality that we know of. Yeah, I think, I mean, just on a, a the level of me being a teacher at a college, I think that a lot of our students confront, that's one of the existential crises that they face when they get to college is that they're faced with a number of possibilities of future selves, right? And, and it's kind of anxiety-inducing to settle on one. Um, and, and this is where, you know, Kafka has a great um, little anet, little story called A Little Fable in which is a little mouse who's like, he was afraid of those possibilities at the beginning and then he starts choosing these things and now he's at the end of his life and everything seems so small, right? Because he has chosen. And so I think that anxiety is what our students are, are feeling a little bit about choosing um, potential versions of ourselves. And I think what the multiverse kind of offers is a chance to not have to give any of those up, right? Uh, you, you still always have access to these alternate versions of yourself. You're always able to create uh, create a new self, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that you, you're not cut off from, from certain things. I, I think it's also useful to, to pair that with uh, the concept that comes uh, later on in the book, concept of grace, that there are multiple ways to get the same outcome. And when we talk about a multiverse, when we get into the science a little bit, right, we're talking about different physics models, um, different possible initial conditions for the universe, or possibly even different parameters to fill into the equations that govern the universe. But all that's on a very basic sort of physics level. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that morality and biology and all those things are going to turn out very differently, right? There may be many of these multiverses where biology is being possible, right? That the universe itself sort of collapses. But in universes where living things can can exist and flourish and so forth, we have every reason to expect that 
uh, that would look the same and the kinds of things that would make uh, living beings flourish uh, and do well would would require similar kinds of, of physics. And so you, know, you can look at work, uh, folks like Stuart Kaufman who, who talk about how biology is not necessarily entailed by the laws of physics, but there's a whole other level of organization on top of the laws of physics that talks about how biology works and how evolution works and so forth. And what we understand about, for example, how uh, cooperation comes out of evolution doesn't depend on any particular version of physics. It depends on things being able to live and reproduce themselves and reproduce themselves in a way that is uh, mostly faithful, but with some variation. Um, and what falls out of that is that groups that cooperate uh, will do better than groups where there are no cooperators within that group. And so that some notion of cooperation, some notion of some of the things that we that we think of as moral goods kind of fall naturally out of that uh, biology, regardless of what the parameters of the, the physics are. Uh, and so we don't necessarily have to give up, like, oh, there's, there's versions out me that are doing all the different kinds of things. There's other universes where morality works out differently, and so it's all kind of pointless. We can still have some notion of the good, what makes life flourish, what allows me to interact positively with other people, uh, looks looks similarly or, or can be realized in a lot of different ways, but has has common theme. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Yeah, you have a sense in which morality is kind of grounded in the physics of your universe then, right? Um, that you happen to be born into. Um, and I, Chris, or Mav, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Mav and Chris were both, you on our little Twitter exchange, yeah. on, on, you guys were having this kind of conversation a little bit. Do you want to uh, take up your point, Mav? Yeah, so there's, I, I was just thinking, sort of, we um, we were expanding on a little bit on what David said about the the idea of where does where where does the theological fit into the uh, into I think he was using specifically the DC version of the multiverse. I chose the Marvel just because it made the point my point better. Okay, <laughs> but, um, but, but it, I mean it doesn't matter, right? Like arguably, in, if you're going to theorize the multiverse, then they're all connected. That would be the entire point, right? Um, but the, uh, the Marvel version is interesting because there are concepts. Actually, DC does this as well, but not as blatantly. There are concepts of of alternate dimensions that are um, parallel worlds, where you move from Earth One to Earth Two, and there's another Superman, there's another Flash, there's another. You know, it is it is still the Earth, but there are also or. Um, in Marvel land, you go from Earth 616 to Earth, what, you know, like, by, by the way, I also love that Marvel was not egotistical enough to make themselves Earth 1. Yeah, They're yeah. like, yeah, we're the 616th. <laughs> or <laughs> just deal with it. But you move from uh, from Earth 616 to Earth 232, and it might be it might be varying versions of the same characters. But also they have alternate dimensions that are not earthly. So, and this fits, fits very much into... Um, certainly Christian theology, less so, or to varying extents to other uh, other religions as well, where you'll have, um, theoretically, hell should be a dimension, as should heaven, right? Like, these are, these are places that exist in a, in a dimensional space. You can walk around there, at least the way we paint it. Yeah. Um, so, therefore, it's, it's a dimension, and, but it's not a parallel of Earth. So in the Marvel universe, you end up with weird situations where um, where theological beings um, from various um, mythos are incarnate characters in their world. Most popular being Thor. Thor, Thor is a god yeah. of Norse mythology. He is a character that 
classically was worshipped in a in a religion. Yeah. Um, and he is a being that walks around on their world. Um, there are other gods that are greater gods, acknowledged as greater gods. The Marvel Universe more or less treats Thor like an alien, like he's from another planet. Yeah. But there are um, there are celestials who are godlike beings. There are beings above the celestials. E- ego from uh, the from, from yeah. in the movies. Yeah, ego the ego the, the living planet. The Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. One. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, but there are there are beings beyond them um, called uh, like the Living Tribunal, Eternity. Who are living tribunal for all intents and purposes is Marvel's version of of God Allah, like the of of the God, okay. <laughs> uh, of, um, and he is he is intended to be that. Okay. There are also so that is a God that exists. There's also Zeus exists in their world. Osiris exists in their world. Um, so it's so it's a it's a. Any number of yeah. satanic and right. Well, that's what I was getting to. Yeah. There is a multi. There is a multi polytheistic. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's both polytheism because you know Norse gods exist, but there are multi versions of poly of polytheistic beings, and then you get to weird ones like Mephisto. Mephisto is the biblical Satan. He's intended to be the biblical Satan, or Mephistopheles, another name. In 1970s Ghost Rider comics, it is explicitly stated that he is the biblical Satan. Jesus is also a character in those books. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ comes back and walks around in, in those books in the 70s. So clearly that's who he is. However, at the same time, they're publishing a book called Defenders, which stars a character named Son of Satan, Damien Hellstorm, who is Satan's uh, who is Satan's son, and Satan is in that book as well. Not as, not often, but his father, yeah. Satan, is in his book. And that is a different it's character not, than Mephisto. Right. Okay. <laughs> there are, yeah. there, there yeah. are other there are multiple Satans wandering around, all of whom inhabit their own realms of hell. And then there's also characters who are who are Satan analogs <laughs> from other religions. There's Hella, there's Hades. Hell Jason. Yeah, hell adjacent. <laughs> yeah, and, and so so the question becomes like you know where are like how do you theorize dimensions when uh, when we, there are alternate hells as well? My, well, my, you can, my name you is can literally yeah that you can literally interact with. <laughs> my yeah. name is Legion, well, there's an so, important yeah. difference I think that's worth noting because it opens up the storytelling possibilities and the the impacts for morality and, and moral discussion between DC and Marvel. Because I, I would posit that their multiverses are essentially different. As mm-hmm. we saw in Endgame, the classical Marvel explanation is that each choice creates a branching universe. Yes. Yeah. So your multi, so the what ifs, they're not that they exist as independent realms, universes unto themselves. It's that they are branching timelines. Right. In other words, our choices create the multitude. I see. DC is flipped. Yeah. DC, it's the other way around. There are, there exist as an order of creation, a set number, originally an infinite number, but now a set number of stable variants of reality that are all held together within this larger theological sphere. They're like nested in the realm of the gods, but those realms, heaven, hell, dream, everything, live outside of these. And each one of these areas, each one of these stable places exists in its own little balanced world, its own rules. Because there's something essentially different. There's an essentially different value to that. And I think where what makes it very interesting, you, you mentioned Earth three. That's the that's the villainous counterpart to you know the main DC world, where all of the heroes are villains and all of the villains are heroes. And what what Grant Morrison did something very interesting there, he posited that there's a fundamentally 
different, well, moral law, natural law to that universe than, than ours, if you will, um, saying that in the main DC universe, that's where, that's where the heroes always win. You know, so he makes that storytelling prop a, a, a story feature. In Earth 3, it's the other way around. That's where the bad guys always win. So when you move the good guys into Earth 3, when you move our heroes there, they are powerless. They can't win there by the very physics of the universe. So there, therein lies the challenge of the story, which I think is very clever. And it begs a question, or it posits a question, which is, you know, if if indeed multiverses exist beyond just a, a theoretical condition, you know, small pocket universes that don't quite exist in any sort of real time, but if there are, in fact, other versions of stable universes out there, well, does the morality, does the inherent balance of that place dictate a different morality? In, in other words, is there a multiversal equivalent to when in Rome, do as the Romans? Mm -hmm. In order to thrive on Earth 3, do I have to my villainous self in order to you know uh in order to thrive here as a villain coming to earth one would i be able to convert would i be able to change my essential nature in order to not be defeated here um i think that's an interesting religious question that's begged by you know four colors on a on a on a comic page mm -hmm. i i also think um just in general i feel like dc is kind of more profound with the way with the way it handles these questions. I, I just feel like there are actual stakes with the DC universe that the Marvel universe is just kind of playful. Maybe I'm just thinking mostly of the MCU, the, the cinematic universe. I just feel like there's like a playfulness in which they don't consider the ramifications of these moral moral choices as much as DC does. Like I, I don't know. Well, and yet, the, and yet there's this this there's this almost. Uh, uh, you know, epic, you know, the language that DC uses, you know, worlds will live, worlds will die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm I talking mean, about, yeah. Week, a, a moment of silence just this week, they destroyed the, you know, the the original Elseworlds, you know, the Gotham by Gaslight, Victorian era yeah. Batman that started that whole thing. It was wiped off the map in Justice League in this very tense moment, and I was surprised to see I actually cared about that. Yeah. You know, that, that was one of my I never really cared much about that particular world. It was neat at the time, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. <laughs> again, it wasn't the main universe. It wasn't yeah. my Batman. But um, they picked a good one to send out in order to <laughs> up the stakes. And I found myself really caring about them as, as people who were no more, as opposed to variants that could be erased at ease. Yeah, yeah. Andy, I, I kind of want to get you in on this. Um, what are your thoughts on this? So, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, there, there's a narrative sense, right, in which you can create a different rules. Uh, you know, Morrison, you know, seems to operate in that, you know, that these are very much fictional worlds, uh, and so their laws of physics are story-driven rather than, you know, physics-driven, really. So, yeah, so there may be an Earth-3 um, where... You know, morality is actually flipped by some fundamental feature of the universe because those features are narratively uh, prescribed. I, I'm not so certain that the actual world that we live in um, would work that way. I think I think there are reasons to expect that what is, uh, to the extent that morality reflects um, not just arbitrary rules, but things that are actually good for uh, the flourishing of life, the, the benefit of, of 
groups and, and society and so forth that there are there are actually things that would that would transcend the various different uh, versions of the multiverse. Those uh, those aspects of morality would would potentially uh, be true um, in all those different places. And there, there, we don't necessarily have to assume that oh yeah, there's definitely a world out there in which all of my uh, all of our moral choices are flipped, and so it's all kind of pointless because it's all arbitrary. We just happen to be in the world where this where these things are good and those things are bad, and that there's a version of me out there somewhere uh, making all the opposite choices and, and being equally moral in that sense. So I, I'm not sure that the science actually bears that. Certainly, narratively, uh, we can explore that. I also feel like there needs to be some uh, reference to the fact that, uh, yes, generally speaking, DC and Marvel kind of break down the way that you talked about, but you know, Hickman, in his run on Avengers and culminating in Secret Wars, did very much the same kind of thing of taking the multiverse and, and these multiverses, these different universes are actually bumping into each other and uh, annihilating each other because of that of that contact and all kind of collapsed down into a single uh, universe that was itself uh, unmade and then remade. And now there's, you know, in addition to those branching timelines that come from different choices, there are actually different bubble universes that are coming from the whims of a 10-year-old uh, Franklin Richards mind spewing uh, <laughs> out uh, all over the place. Um, and, you know, and, and all that comes from the same kind of, of uh, storytelling practicalities, right? Where we, they tried to collapse everything down into a single timeline. But then, oh, yeah, Spider-Gwen is really popular, but she's canonically from a different, yeah. multi, different universe in the multiverse. Mm-hmm. So we can't get rid of that part of that. So, you know, when, when everything comes back post-Secret Wars and it seems like there's only one universe, oh, right, but there's also Earth 65 or whatever that Spider-Gwen is on. So we can't, we can't undo our multiverse concept that quickly either. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's one of the things um, is really beautiful about storytelling. And you have a – I just want to kind of read one line from uh, your book here. Um, it's in uh, the, a subsection of Chapter 2 called Two Roads Diverged in the Multiverse. Um, <laughs> um, fiction operates in a similar fashion. We can explore alternative scenarios without exhausting limited real-world resources. Um, and, and I think that that's a, a great way to kind of um, – I mean, I think – a lot of fiction. I've been. I'm teaching a class on Philip Roth this semester, and a lot of his work is metafictional, right? And, and I think that's part of what he's doing, particularly with something like Plot in America, Plot Plot, plot Against America, is to um, uh, kind of give us an alternative reality that helps us safely and with a limited amount of disruption, uh, like consider our own uh, current reality that we are stuck in, right? I mean, there is a sense in which we are stuck in our realities. Um, but these uh, imaginative escapes allow, just they spark the imagination in such a way that I think it makes change possible in the reality that you happen to live in, right? Um, within your imagination. I really love that chapter of your book, which you pointed me to on Twitter, which I appreciated your, the boldness of doing that. Um. <laughs> It aligns too with something that I I, I really liked. Uh, I mean, when, when I think about it, the original literary multiverse I can think of came from C.S. Lewis in his Wood Between the Worlds and the Magician's Nephew in the Chronicles of Narnia. Right. You know, where each world is its own pool, and there's this realm in between that ties them all together. He wrote. I, I, I had to look up a quote that that came to mind when I, when you were talking about this. He he, he wrote in an essay on stories and other essays on literature, he was debating whether or not his Narnia was just an allegory. He he said it it isn't. He says uh, that's not how these stories uh, were written or how they ought to be read. He said the starting point is a 
proposal. Suppose I found a country inhabited by dwarfs. Suppose two men could exchange bodies. Nothing less, but equally nothing more. What's the point of it? And he said, every supposal is an ideal experiment, an experiment done with ideas because you can't do it any other way. Mm. And the function of the experiment is to teach us more about the things we experiment on. When we suppose the world of daily life to be invaded by something other, then we're subjecting either our conception of daily life or our conception of that other, or both, to a new test. So story, you know, as a test for possible selves, story as a test for other realities that we could find ourselves living into within, you know, our, our own life in real time. Um, I, I think that, that it flows very naturally from what you're, you're talking about. Yeah, and I also think that there's a way in which um, we become too sure of our realities, right? So even when we're talking about there's like Christian metaphysics, right? There's a lot of debate about that. When you were talking about the Satan of the Bible, there's not one Satan right. of the Bible, right? right. I mean, yeah. there's, there's the Satan. The Satan in Job is very different mm -hmm. than the Satan in the Garden of Eden, than the Satan that tempts Jesus on uh, on his uh, earthly mm -hmm. journey, right? There's there's multiple versions of Satan within this seemingly universal text, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think that's a way in which that opens us up to kind of perpetually probe the things that we are kind of maybe too sure about in, mm -hmm. in theology is definitely one of those things, I think. So um, I do want to um, uh, leave a couple minutes for questions uh, from, from the audience, but I, I want to kind of push into the, the CW thing. And I thought I'd <laughs> um, let Wayne um, kind of give his thoughts on what they're doing. With I, that. I, I'm way behind on all the shows. The only one I'm currently watching regularly is flash. Okay. Um, I will watch the crossover. Uh, I just there's been too much TV, so I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that I, I have a, a lot of thoughts on, on what they're doing so far. That's the problem with the multiverse. There's too yeah, much right, TV, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now, on Flash, how they're building up to yeah. his like supposed sacrifice and mm -hmm. and, and that's he seems to be such a he was such a core character in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths that that's the one I decided to follow. I like, I just fallen off the other shows a while back. Um, Mav, what, what are your thoughts on it? I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's <laughs> the, what I'm what I'm mostly interested in, and I actually do watch all the shows currently. And uh, <laughs> it's how like, he has time to breathe. I yeah. don't. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm writing a dissertation about superheroes, and like I, I decided until I'm done, I'm going to watch every superhero show. <laughs> and then, like like 2016 happened and all shows are now superheroes You're right and, yeah. <laughs> and like my life became way harder um but, but um i i i'm into it because i'm invested in the shows but i'm actually more invested right now just in the concept and i didn't think i would be the concept that uh, i think chris was saying they're going to bring characters in from all the other shows ever yeah, i awesome. cannot wait to see smallville I cannot yeah. wait to see um, to see Burt Ward. Yeah. I'm, you know, I am the only person in the world who liked the Birds of Prey TV show um, when it when it was out, and uh, and then there's things like you know, there's rumors that maybe Linda Carter shows up. They're they're keeping it under wraps. There's a question of of whether or not. Um, you know, what, is Burt Ward going to be playing a grown-up Robin, or is he something else? And I and I really, I just, I basically just want to be able to watch this 
and pointed stuff, you know, yeah. like, like <laughs> which, which normally I hate. Normally I find, I find Easter eggs to be, um, to be, if, if they're subtle and I don't have to notice them, I prefer that to when they're forced on me. In this one situation, I hope it's a good story, but really, if it's just five straight episodes of, oh, look, there's the thing. Oh, look, yeah, yeah, I, know, <laughs> I know that one. Um, and it, because they've, they've sort of earned it. It's such a, amazing undertaking to, yeah. to to like just go and say we're gonna find Burt Ward <laughs> where was he <laughs> you know that so, so I'm looking forward to that and 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 to see how they how they logic the fact that you know they're having Brandon Routh play Superman while also playing the Atom yeah oh, and, and they're just yeah. and yes we know that he's that they're two completely unrelated characters played by the same actor deal with it we're yeah. also going to have we're also going to have at least three Supermans played by at least three separate actors. I expect there might be four because they have a you know they already have Dean Kane on a recurring role, so yeah. they they clearly have his number. So I so there <laughs> might so I don't know if, I don't know if <laughs> he'll show up too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and will, will we see Supergirl's well, mom as Supergirl? Yes, uh, Helen Slater. Helen Slater plays her mom, but also plays Supergirl. Um, Erica Durant is both her. Kryptonian mom and and Lois Lane and Smallville. So it's going to be very fascinating and, to me. And I guess that's one question I have about this. I've watched very little of these shows. I mean, I'm in Wayne's situation. I just don't have time uh, to keep up with everything. But um, I, I do feel like I mean, already in the Flash, they had the guy who played the Flash in the John Wesley in yeah. the nineties yeah. series, right? So they've always done these kind of winking yeah. um, cool. nods to nostalgia of, mm-hmm. to the nostalgia of the fans, right? And I guess my fear about this is that it's just going to be that on steroids. And I then, think yeah. it's exactly going to be yeah. that. And normally that would annoy me. I'm giving this a pass because yeah. I want to see Burt Ward in, in, in yeah. short little pants. But, yeah. but, <laughs> I, I hope they try to do something more profound. <laughs> I hope they try to do something more profound with that, though, I guess. I, I don't know. That Maybe that's yeah. just me being an egghead. I don't know. But, um, I don't want well, to encroach I'm, on the next thinking, presentation too I'm much. Think- well, I was just saying, I, I, I think where the, the fun comes is going to be rather like where the fun comes if you are a fan of both The Walking Dead on paper and on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that's being yeah. written by the same writer's room, you've got them largely following the same arc, but infinite variability within the arc yeah. for what happened to individual characters. And so you can think you know where it's going, and then all of a sudden, oh my god, they killed this major character. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they give that part to someone else. They're forecasting the Flash's demise. And, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't a spoiler. In 1985, he died. So right. it's super um, Clearly, you know, are they setting that up because something like that's really going to happen? Are Those they shows have already been up? renewed, so no. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what are the expectations they're going to invert? In? And what are some of the what is some of the joy that's going to come out of seeing where real characters that were as, quote, you know, fictionally real for the audience back when that was the only show on. Mm-hmm. Where have they gone since then? That's the original yeah. Earth 2 experiment, seeing what happens when Batman grows up and gets married and has a kid and ultimately dies. Um, it's like going to your class reunion then, right? Um, right. Yeah. I, I, I so want to see Burt Ward put on that original Earth 2 Robin adult costume. <laughs> that Nothing would make me happier. Yeah. Well, interestingly, you don't want the colors that he's wearing in his publicity shot look a lot like a grown-up Billy Batson. Ah. And I'm wondering if he's going to be on Earth Five as a possible Shazam, you know. Um, so it, it just could be interesting. And and Brandon Ralph, yes, he took over for Christopher Reeve in the in the 
attempted reboot of the original Christopher Reeve movies. Does that mean he's, he's playing the Kingdom Come Superman here, Earth 20 or 22? I can never keep those mm-hmm, right. straight. The numbers are different I, in, in the, on the Arrowverse anyway. Oh, but the, is the implication that this is ultimately the outcome of Christopher Reeve's world? I, is this what happened to them? You know, I, well, that's, that's sort of a, um, you know, that's worth tuning in. I mean, I assume it would have to be because uh, because the entire concept of that. Now, the question is, is his is he just Superman because they want to preserve his legacy from having been in a Superman movie? And because if if, he, if it is the Superman Returns Superman, that is Christopher Reeves. It's right. just played by a different and actor. If the, if the implication is that Christopher Reeves Superman lived into the kingdom come mm-hmm. future. Right. That's very bleak. And that's yeah. very different than. You know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his Adam characters were being retired as well. So it's it's so up in the air what any of it means. And aside from just my, and again, I, I do not want to understate my desire to point at stuff. For, in this one case, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a huge nerd. But aside from my desire to point at stuff, I will say that on um, the primary shows. Um, that being Arrow and Flash, I actually like all of them. But of Arrow and Flash, the original, the original two shows, the way they've been dealing with this, because Black Lightning and Supergirl haven't really been touching on it much yet, um, the way Arrow and Flash have been dealing with it has been more interesting than most everything they've done prior um, in the last couple of years. Um, Arrow, I mean, Arrow's on season seven or eight. Like they, they were tired. I, I get it, right? Um, but this, this. These last four or five episodes of Arrow have been quite engaging, particularly the last one. So I you and know. the intertextuality for those of you who are only watching mm-hmm. the Flash has important implications too. Right. I mean, uh, Flash Earth Two is a major, major location where important characters, not just variants, but characters that you care about for whole seasons, live. Mm-hmm. They just destroyed it. Yep. In Arrow, you wouldn't know it if you were watching the Flash, but potentially about a third of your cast just died off screen. <laughs> and uh, in in somebody else's show, and it packed quite a wallop there when it did, you know. So again, this idea that your best selves, uh, you know, if, if better living through quantum theory, um, <laughs> you know, your your if your best selves can exist in another realm and influence you in this realm because of their existence and their choices there, um, destroying them is a loss of self, and 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 and. You don't want to look at any of these characters as if they are just expendable variants mm-hmm. of the current show. You want to see them, as I th- think we should in, in real life, as, as independent souls, as independent beings of their own inherent worth and value. Um, that's what's fun about the reunion aspect of these shows. But well, I, it's also got kind of a, a narrative implication for you know, personal morality and growth. Yeah, that's what I was going to Because I think, the, I think ultimately, if we're, if we're going to make the argument that all fiction you know not just superhero fiction but all fiction is about you know teaching us to grow our own ideologies um one of the one of the early episodes of i want to say i want to say flash it might have been arrow but at one point black siren who is the laurel lance of earth 2 actually makes a statement and they've since forgotten it. They don't do it anymore. But like she makes a statement, you keep calling it Earth Two. On my world, it's Earth One. Right. <laughs> and it, you know, because her entire point was, this is you know these 
to I get to you, you we're we are parallel beings. But to me, you are. This is reality. This is rea- you know the reality. And when they destroyed Earth Two on Arrow, she it, it it did have a very real you know these are the ramifications. You know, yes, I get that there. You know, she says, um, you know, these are my friends. This is my family. My my father and my sister just died along with my entire planet. So, you know, give me a moment here it's when, when, you know, when they're trying to move on with the mission. And that I, I think the hope there, you know, ignoring the entire concept of of multiple realities and just going into the ethics, which is the other part of of, yeah. the, of this episode's description you know, the reality is um, it's really easy to to drop a bomb on Hiroshima because those aren't real people until you think about the fact that those are real people. Right. Yeah. Or it's really, you know, or, or, you know, you know, you see people, let's bomb the Middle East. We'll just end the war. Those are people with lives who I don't know and they don't affect my life on a daily basis but somebody's just going to work or doing a podcast or whatever they're doing you know you're going to school and to and the ramifications of, of our actions they're not video game characters right I, i'm reminded of that was it i'm sorry when you no, no, no. um the was it arthur c clark that wrote the star um uh, some science mm-hmm. very famous science fiction story um in which the christmas star Basically, turns out to have been a supernova that destroyed this kind of really brilliant civilization, and some astronaut from Earth eventually kind of finds the remains of the situation and realizes what it is. And mm-hmm. and and so for us, this is just kind of like quaint, <laughs> like fairy tale of beauty, right? And it was just like this cataclysmic um, end of all things for other people that we just weren't aware of, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah, there's like an empathetic function um, for I think. I think all fiction, um, um, but certainly that gets emphasized in metafiction um, yeah. and that talks about multiverses. And, and just kind of on a personal uh, note, I, I don't know. I just uh, I don't know how deeply to get into my own personal angst. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm settled in a career now and I've always been someone who I've never I'm not really from someplace. Right. And I've always <laughs> kind of been like built for the chase i like to say right and so and now that i'm kind of at the goal that i had for my life i've been having a hard time frankly figuring out what to do to make life interesting right and 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 kind of worth keeping going and and so i'm not that i'm that bleak let me let me just kind of step (laughs) back a little bit um but uh, I, I don't. I went back to my old grad school, which was sort of the last place in which I could imagine variant versions of myself. Kind of, you know what I mean. And that was very um, inspiring for me because I feel like right now I've kind of come to a point where I can still like create things, and there's a still there still are possibilities. I'm not like stuck in the world that I'm in. So I've been thinking about these issues um, uh, quite a lot. Not that I want to leave this school or this or this place that I live, but. Um, creating a new version of it um, by the things that I choose to do, I think is sort of what I'm looking for. And so I've been kind of inspired by this uh, topic and, and I was really kind of, that's what enthralled me about that Spider-Verse um, uh, movie. Uh, is and, and, and yeah, we didn't talk enough about it. It was, um, that was one place in which Marvel pro- properties really do take that kind of thing seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I thought it was, uh, I thought it was just lovely in that way. Um, I, I do want to leave time for our next presenter who's um, setting up her, her, her doll collection. <laughs> her, not, they're not dolls. It's not a doll collection. What action is it? figures. Action, action figures. figures. Thank you. Um, and, uh, Everyone but, in the room thinks of their glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do want to thank, you know, Mav and Wayne for joining me up here. Um, Chris Buckley and, and Andy Walsh, thanks for joining us remotely. Do you guys have any last thoughts, Andy? Um. 
Not really. I think, you know, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I want to have Andy back on um, and, and just have him talking about his book, I think, at length at some point. I hope he's willing to do that because it's, it's a really interesting book, and I think uh, my listeners will get a lot out of it. So we'll set that up at some point here. Um, it's a little preview maybe of that conversation. And, and Buckley, you've been on. Um, if you haven't bought uh, Chris's uh, book of poetry called Bluing, um, it's lovely, and uh, and I think you should uh, you should go out and buy that, Chris. Uh, uh, and I'll uh, if you just go back to that episode where I interviewed you about that. Um, you can find all that information. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. All right. And thanks for everybody who's listening yeah. today um, here at the, the Charity Con. Thank you. Woo! Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>